Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. And we're still seeing it quite well through that haze. The fight is growing. E equals MC. That all men are created About the future innovation. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another fantastic episode of Finding Your Frequency. I am your host today, Ryan Treasure. And man, I always love Finding Your Frequency Fridays. Thank you guys for tuning in right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Uh, you know, Finding Your Frequency Fridays are always one of those special days where we get to bring on some great guests, have some great conversation about things that really matter, find out how people found their frequency in life and in business, uh, and get some tips and some tricks so that way we can learn and better ourselves and grow and prosper and become better individuals in all aspects of what we're trying to do in life. So we have a great guest for you today. Dr. Minzy Geritz is an author, an entrepreneur, and for 20 years, a leadership career and team coach for executives in technology, financial services, and government. Master level certified coach and adjunct faculty at Lewis University in the master's program on organizational leadership. She is also uh, faculty and mentor coaches for potential genius human resources in India, co-author of two books and five book chapters on leadership, teaming, and change. Mindy's newest book, Conversation Secrets for Tomorrow's Leaders, 21 Obvious Secrets Leaders Do Not Use Enough. That's right. Stuff that y'all don't use enough. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, it's authored with her colleague, Steve Hamilton Clark and Carrie E. Gallant, and the book is available on Amazon for pre-sale with a launch date of September 23rd. So guys, hey. you know, September 23rd. Today is the 17th. Okay. Well, you guys are listening to this. It's the 17th. Go out, go get the book next Thursday on the 23rd. You can go pre-order it as well. But without further ado, let's bring on Dr. Mindy Gewertz. Hi, Brian. It's a pleasure to be here. Dr. Mindy, how are you? How are things in your in your neck of the woods? I know you're over in New Jersey. We were just having that conversation uh, before the show. I'm in Arizona sweating. It's 108 degrees and you're in, uh, in, in New Jersey and you guys are about to get some rain. We are about to get some rain and we've had a lot of rain actually this season and COVID is here and still with us. Yeah, unfortunately, it's, uh, it's starting to become kind of something that we're all dealing with, with our, within our daily lives. And, you know, I think that, uh, I don't know, I don't, I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon. So it's just something that we're right. going to have to figure out how to work around. And I think that that really leads into, you know, really what you do with leadership coaching, because, you know, even now more than ever, as you have disparate workforces and hybrid workforces and all those different things, you know, some of the the, the things in leadership are, are, are changing, they're evolving, uh, communication mechanisms are, are, are a lot different. It's, uh, you know, for me, you know, it's it's way different communicating with people via you know the technology that we have whether it be microsoft teams or zoom or whatever and you know it's great that i get to see you and i'm looking at you but yes. it's it's a whole other different kind of set of energy when you actually get to be around people it's i, I feel a bit Absolutely. more of a collaborative spirit but we are we are where we are right then you we're, we're we're in this and there's not a whole lot we can do about it so all we can do is adapt and pivot and do all of those things that leaders need to do um, to really uh, uh, showcase to their employees that, you know, you're willing to make whatever changes necessary to adapt to an ever-changing workplace, a workforce. Uh, and then, of course, uh, being innovative around that, too, is really important. Um, and there's a lot of stuff, I think, that uh, people uh, are, are, are confused about. Some people don't know exactly which directions to go in this particular arena. And, you know, it's great to have you on so we can kind of, you know, break down some of those uh, uh, some of those things, some of those uh, uh, secrets. And obviously, we're not going to give up all the secrets because you got to go check out the book. But we can have a general conversation on you know, the way that the, the way that leadership is kind of changing and um, and, and how teams are, are, are evolving. Uh, but before we get into that conversation, you know, 
as we talk about uh, staying true to the, to the nature of the show, finding your frequency, uh, you know, everybody wants to know, you know, it's great. You have done all of these amazing things to get where you are, um, but everybody has a, a story or a roadmap to, you know, how they, how they got where they are. And so we'd like to know how you found your frequency in life and in business. And how did you end up where you are today? Thank you for that. As many, many women, it's really been, think about Russian nesting dolls. You know how there's a little doll and then there's a doll on top of it and then there's another doll on top of it? In many ways, my journey's been like that. So it's not been a straight road at all. Uh, When I went to school, I remember that from very early time, I always wanted to be a psychologist. And one of the reasons is very much so is that my parents are Holocaust survivors of World War II. And so for me, making the difference in the world is something I was taught as a very little girl. And in eighth grade, I remember as a grab bag, I had gotten a little doll. And the little doll had glasses with a ponytail because everybody knew what I wanted to be. It was a little career doll. And I put it under my desk and we went out for recess. And when I came back, it was gone. Someone had taken away my little career doll. And I didn't have a voice at that time to really kind of find out where it was. I was too embarrassed and I didn't want to embarrass anyone. And at that time, I promised myself I would find my voice. And so for the next many years, I've been finding my voice and making my journey. But it took a while. So I graduated college uh, when I was nine months pregnant with my twins, except that I didn't know I had twins. Oh, wow. And in those days, they didn't have sonogram. They did x-rays on you. Can you imagine? In the ninth month, I was huge, but I only carried forward. And they didn't know they were two because the one heartbeat was over the other. Wow. So I gave birth two days after I moved to the new community from New York City, where I left my family, went with my husband. And I gave birth to twins. It was amazing. But so much for going from my PhD to Columbia, which I gave up. So the journey then continued. And uh, two years later, I tried to go for my master's in social work, got three credits, but that was it because I gave birth on the very same day, one year later, Ryan, to a little girl. So imagine going into the hospital and the person sitting there at admissions asking my husband, so has your wife been here before? And my husband saying, oh, yeah. He says, well, when? Uh, A year ago today. She says, no, you're kidding me. No. And so my little girl was born. So they were like triplets, the three of them. And they're still very close to this day. So I had a set of three kids. And uh, who were very delicious. And so that part of my life uh, became very important to me. And at the same time, my husband was rabbi of a congregation. So that was a two-person job. One person got paid, one person didn't. So we know who didn't get paid, right? So, and that was an amazing part of my growth as well and my journey. At the same time, now I decided I'm going for my MSW because it was just too much to go for a doctorate. So I went for my MSW and I got a full scholarship. And at this point, it was $2,000. Can you believe that? A two-year program. But that's what it cost me for babysitting money to watch at this point. Now I had five kids. So my littlest one was born in Albany, where I went for my MSW, finished that in, I thought was going to be four years, and I decided 
that's silly. I have twins. I should be able to do this in half the time. So I did it in two years full time. I decided. And what was amazing is as I was doing that, I got very involved in the Ringel Institute of Gerontology. I was very interested in elder care at that time. And so my mentor there was writing about elderly criminals. And we were doing a lot of work on that. And she says, well, you want to write a book with me and my husband? And I said, of course. What a great opportunity. So that was my first book as an associate author on elderly criminals. And that started me on my writing journey. <laughs> so elderly criminals, that's an interesting topic to write about. That's you Amazing. Don't, I know. And you, and, you know, it's not something that anybody really probably thinks about every day about elderly criminals. But um, it was amazing. You know why they were criminals? They went and they did shoplifting. And why did they do shoplifting? It's really a cry for attention. Come, my kids, call me, visit me. I'm here in Florida and I'm bored and you guys never call me. Well, guess what? Now I'm in jail for shoplifting. Not exactly in jail, but I've been caught for shoplifting. Yeah. And then got to call somebody, right? Yeah, that's 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 interesting. Or I got in a car accident because I really can't see anymore. And no one's watching at the store. And so a whole book was written about all our workshops and everything we did about that. And we are associate authors, the three of us. And so that journey um, started there. And from there, I was already in a family service association doing not-for-profit and we moved again. So this time we moved to Boston. You guys are bouncing around all over the place. Yes. And kind of moving upward for my husband and for me, giving me new opportunities to really grow. Now, what so was he? What was he doing at the time? Obviously, he was, uh, you know, you, congregation, uh, congregation. Okay, so, okay, bigger so, and bigger, okay. bigger and better. Wow! And so my role got bigger as well. Mm-hmm. Only by this time, I was finding my voice and deciding what I wanted to do. So what I did was I created a caring, compassionate organization, a volunteer organization within the congregation and got grant money to kind of make that happen, which was very exciting. So there's a whole volunteer component to that. Mm. So I was no longer going to be what I called Madame Defarge sitting and knitting uh, with sisterhood anymore. We were going to be doing this in a very different way. And yeah. that's there to this day. Oh, that's so awesome. we were there 30 years and we would help women during birth. If they got a miscarriage, we would help provide meals and at the end of life. So from beginning to end of life. And so there I decided to go for my doctorate. At the same time, I was already in private practice doing the doctorate. And uh, my five kids were getting older and they were all in school. So, hey, I was a free woman, you know, I got plenty of time. So uh, it was a very exciting time. I was on the leadership team of family service in Boston uh, because my executive director in Albany called up the executive director in Boston and said, you got to hire her. I don't care what you do. Just make a place for her. And you have all this experience. And she did. And so the first thing I did was write a grant, got a grant. We created some stuff. And I was very entrepreneurial at that time. I created an elder caregiving program. Yeah. And, I, and you know, I really like kind of where you're going with this, too, because, um, you know, for the folks that are listening, you know, when you when you, uh, you know, think about, you know, making change or doing something, some good in the community and then knowing, see, and, and, and I'm, I'm bringing this up because a lot of people may not know about grants, right? And that the grants um, are available through the government and through other, you know, um, um, agencies for, you know, startups of nonprofits for people who are doing volunteer work or, you know, different types of, uh, you know, things that are going to be community impactful. Um, so if you guys are thinking about getting involved in some Something like that. Make sure you look into the grant process because um, it's a it's a very good way to get some funding to get your feet off the ground, right? Oh, absolutely. And um, my colleagues made fun of me 
because when you're a social worker at that time, I said the the you know who's going to pay? Elderly people won't pay because they're too proud. They're not going to pay. They want to save the money for their children, right? But the kids were very happy to pay. And I said to them, look, your parents, you're going to have to come out of New York and go visit your parents. I can save you the fee that you're going to pay on the shuttle. You pay for us to send out a nurse, a care manager, and that package is going to be cheaper than a full-time flight from New York City. It's a no-brainer. Right, and yeah. they go, you're right. And so we had that package. It was amazing. And because um, there were no fees at that time for elder caregiving. It was considered way beyond its time. And I'm a change agent. Wherever I go, I need to create change. It's just in my DNA. <laughs> um, and I guess I got that from my mother, who was an amazing woman. Uh, she came from a very wealthy family. And when they were separated, she put a penny on her porch. And she said, I'm coming back and I'm going to collect that penny. And she did. And she was only 15 years old at that time. So she's a huge role model for me that if you set your attention, you have hope and you believe and you make a commitment and you put actions towards it, then you will achieve it. And this, by the way, this little formula that I just said um, is one that Dr. Srini Pillay of Harvard talks about in his book about how to overcome anxiety because behind anxiety is really fear, fear that we're not going to be able to do it. And this is exactly what he says is to overcome that fear because very often, and especially for women, we don't think we can do it. Uh, we don't think that we're good enough or we're not worthy as a leader. But if you have that hope, and that belief, and you start committing and then doing it, doing. then the fear starts to dissipate. And here's the interesting piece of that. The neuroscience behind it, and I do a lot of neuroscience-based coaching, we can train our brain to think differently. In the old days, we used old days, meaning 10, 20 years ago, maybe, we used to think that you know, after 20, we kind of, 30, we, our brain really just would fall apart. It's not true because of neuroplasticity, right? Yeah. So if we say to our brain, stop doing that, stop being afraid, Mindy, brain won't listen to us. You know why? Because we're hardwired. We're hardwired to be afraid so that when the predator comes along, right, we're on alert like we should be. However, what we're now learning is that if you tell your brain, focus on the outcome. Look at for what you want. Bring the intentionality to it. Here's the path I want to show you. The brain goes, oh, I get that. I can do that. That's why downhill skiers never focus on the obstacles in their course. Because if they focused on the obstacles, they fall into the obstacles. They focus on the outcome and where they want to reach. And they go. And that's how you train your brain. So now when I coach leaders and we focus on the outcome, we always work on training that brain in terms of the leadership stuff. So sorry, it's like you press a button and I start talking about leadership. No, that's okay. And, and, and no, and I, and I like the idea behind that because, you know, that's, that's one of the things I think that people need to understand as leaders. And, you know, I, I do this all the time and I've done this, I've done this with Jeff too. You know, Jeff will, uh, you know, ask me to do something. Right. And, uh, and I'm the kind of the person where like, I'm like, okay, I know you want me to do this, but what's the, what are, what is the goal? Like, where are you trying to go? Because, you know, yes, you want me to do this, but are there other efficiencies I can find for you? Yes. Right. As, as we get to where we want to go, right. What is your ultimate goal rather than saying, mm -hmm. 
you know, do A, B, and C, you know, and I think it's very helpful for leaders too. You know, when I go to my team and I'm like, hey, we have a video editing project or whatever that we need to do, this is what the final outcome needs to be like, right? And I can show some examples. I can do some of those things, you know, versus going, here's 20 clips. We need to make a video, um, you know, and and not really the person understanding exactly where they want to go. And I think if more leaders were transparent in that, in that space of, you know, where does the C-suite want to go in a year and what is the, you know, what, what, what kind of path do you see for us going there? So then that way the, all the organization kind of understands, you know, what the goals of the company are. So everyone can work together. It's almost like the analogy, you know, getting all of the horses to pull the cart together. Right. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, I love the, I love the idea behind that. And then, you know, thinking that, and that's, I haven't really thought about the neuroscience behind it like you did. So I appreciate that. Uh, that aspect of what you're bringing to the table. But I think just, you know, honestly, I think that's, that's uh, some really good advice too for entrepreneurs and people who are trying to start their own businesses because you have a lot of that happening right now, right? With, you know, uh, mandates and all these kind of things and, you know, people, you know, may, you know, you know, not wanting to be mandated to do things. So you're starting to see, you know, people become more entrepreneurial, uh, starting their own businesses. And I think that takes, that takes a lot of, 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 of guts. Um, our promo says intestinal fortitude, right? Mm -hmm. um, it takes yeah. a lot of that because you do, you have to get past the fear and think about where you're going to go and how you're going to get there and then just start going and doing and making strides to get there. Um, and I think, you know, uh, it's funny. I always use the, uh, the phrase walking off of the, uh, the plank of entrepreneurship into the sea yes. of the unknown, right? My last name is Treasure, so I have to throw some kind of pirate <laughs> yes. analogy there somewhere. <laughs> yes, it's a great, great name. Yeah, I mean, but, that, but that's what happens, really. I mean, you're, you're kind of walking into the unknown, but, you know, let's see, you know, you're on a plank, you know, the water's unknown, but you know, underneath the water, where you're trying to get to what you want to do and how you're going to get there, right? Um, that, the how you're going to get there may change, right? But ultimately, you know where you want to go. And I think that's the most important thing to focus on. And, uh, and I appreciate the feedback on that. That's, that's good stuff. Well, life is very much like that. And, you know, you don't know really where. And when I talk to a lot of millennials now and coach a lot of millennials, it's really hard for them, for some of them, to find that direction of where it is to go. And we now have what we're calling or what has been called the great resignation, where many people are kind of leaving the workforce. And they're literally just walking out of work because they're kind of examining, is this what I want? Right. Is this really what I want? Is this what I want out of life? Mm -hmm. And I think we're at the cusp of a real paradigmatic shift. And the pandemic has really put that in stark relief for all of us. Yeah, I feel like it's I feel like it was something that was coming already, <laughs> but the pandemic absolutely accelerated it. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think what happened is all of a sudden said, wait a minute, what's important to me? What do I really want? Like everybody was on the treadmill before and racing and you can't catch up because we're already 5% behind when you look at inflation. But the pandemic forced us to stop and to realize, what do I want out of life? And when people started to go back to work, they started to say, I don't think this is what it is that I want. And what's interesting is CEOs. Now, this is what's really fascinating. The leaders have suddenly said, wait a minute. In the pandemic, with everybody home, they've had to act differently. They suddenly realized, like, oh, I have to take care of my people. Because if I don't take care of my people, I'm going to have nothing when things come back. And suddenly, empathy, um, making sure people, the caring, the compassion, being the face and the heart became important for leadership. And it was like, oh, yeah, CEO, 
<laughs> where have you guys been? <laughs> yeah, and that's almost like seriously, like where have you been? I want to pause for just a second and reach out to all the digital leaders out there. How would it feel to not only know what your customer is experiencing, but how many others are experiencing this also? I think it's about time that we put our customers at the center of our decisions and get ahead with real-time insights way before a code freeze. It may be beach weather outside, but for retailers, the holiday season has already started. 2021 holiday e-commerce sales are expected to exceed the 2020 benchmarks. Is your company prepared to capture every customer's revenue opportunity? With Quantum Metric, you can be. Their unique approach to the digital customer experience helps today's top retailers and e-commerce brands quickly identify and prioritize the big and small revenue opportunities that keep customers engaged and coming back. Stay off the naughty list with Santa this holiday season and reduce that customer friction, increasing conversions. You all know we got to have those conversions. And at the same time, personalizing the shopping experience. You guys want a sneak peek? Visit us at quantummetrics.com slash pod offer and see if you can qualify to receive our 12 days of insights offer with code frequency. This gives you a 12 day access to the cloud platform coupled with a bespoke insight report that will help you identify where customers are struggling or engaging in your digital product. Some restrictions apply. I want to make sure you guys check it out. 12 days of insights. Go get a sneak peek. Visit quantummetrics.com slash pod offer. You know, it's been this rat race and this craziness for so long. And I'm starting to see, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot, a lot of the leaders that are good leaders are understanding about that um, work life balance and that connection. And, you know, like, I'll give you an example. I love what I do. I've been in radio for a long time. I've been here at voice America for 18 years. Right. And so, but at the same time, the pandemic has made me also kind of feel like, well, I really like spending time with my family. <laughs> um, I really like to go to karate. That's that's something I really like to oh, do. That's great. You know, and so then it kind of makes you reflect on, okay, uh, you know, as an employee, you know, there's these things that you kind of understand maybe you want to spend more time doing. And so, you know, maybe my work isn't getting done at the standard nine to five time. You know, you mm-hmm. some you know, the companies are saying, hey, you know what? I don't really necessarily care when you do your work as long mm-hmm. as this work is getting done. If you want to split your day into three pieces so you can go to the park for a couple of hours, you want to go pick up your kid and have, you know, that time with them for a couple of hours rather than putting them into like an after school program so you can come get them at five o'clock. You know, there's been a lot of, I think, changes um, for the employee that gives them the opportunity to kind of be more connected with the things that are important to them. And the the leaders at the top that understand that are the ones that are going to retain their employees and their employees are going to be happier. And I feel more productive, even though they're working from home. You know, I know I'm more productive when I'm happy. You know, if I'm, if I'm not happy and I'm drudging away and I have to work a straight nine to five, you know, then that becomes a daunting, you know, kind of not really what I want out of life scenario. But if I'm able to get up at five o'clock in the morning, check emails for an hour, go for a jog, you know, uh, go do some different things. And then, you know, even for me, even though I'm commuting and I come here to the studio, you know, there's there's some days where, you know, um, I'll be, you know, OK, hey, I got most of my work done. The rest of the stuff, I just got a few emails to check. OK, it's two o'clock. I'm going to leave and uh, I'm going to go meet my daughter and I'm going to go do her karate class with her. Like, so we can spend that time together. Right. And then I get home and it's five o'clock and then I finish my emails for the day. And, you know, having that kind of flexibility um, is important. And, and I can't I can't speak enough to the idea of leaders understanding and catering um, their their methodologies for work and the work week and the work hours um, and, and really taking note of that and understanding that every employee is different. And you're going to have to make a concerted effort as the leader to, you know, hone in on people's personalities, people's different kind of, uh, uh, you know, what their moral obligations are to themselves and to their families and figure out a way to work around that. Or you're right. You're, we're going to have a, a, a big, a big problem with, with, uh, yes. with, with uh, the workforce. And millennials, which are now just about half of the workforce, have yep. been telling this to us for a while. And the truth is it's good for everyone. 
not just for millennials. And the pandemic has really like made it more mainstream. So the progressive organizations have understood that, but now it's really become more mainstream. And actually the research is now showing if you look at the number one, well, maybe top five, within the top five areas of leadership, being adaptive is right in there. So you've got to have that adaptive capacity to be able to think, unlearn what you know, learn differently, and lead differently. Well, if you're going to do that, then you're going to have to have an environment that encourages that. You're going to have to have flexibility in that environment if you want people to think and to be that way. Mm-hmm. So it's a whole paradigm shift that's really happening and the truth is we're in a much if you take it on the meta level think about how the larger shift plays out it's almost like you know we've had the industrial revolution we're mm-hmm. kind of the post-industrial revolution technology revolution you, right when you think about biologically, how um, survival of the fittest was the way um, our species diversified. But what we're learning now is that the way that the species really integrated was not through competition, but through collaboration. Mm-hmm. And what that's we're also... Like raising, that's like with... Sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but like that's why with raising children, I always like the idea that it takes a village, right? But at the same time, you got to make sure your village is, follows the same kind of morals that you do, right? Because, uh, you know, that was like the scariest thing for me when I sent my kid to kindergarten, right? I'm like, oh my God, she's going to run into some kids that she's going to learn some bad stuff from. And it happened, right? There was some stuff and I was like, oh, we got to have conversations about this kind of stuff. You know, you know <laughs> that might be okay for some people's kids, but that is not okay for you. <laughs> and that's, you know, but- learning. Right. But that social interaction, right, helps me as a parent to bring up scenarios where they're teachable moments where I can provide leadership and, 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 and uh, consultation to her on, you know, how to make the right decision. So that way, when something like that comes up again or, or, or she finds herself in a similar scenario, she knows what the right choice is, right? Absolutely. And it's the same thing in economics. Yes. Shareholders and only shareholders were the ones who in the Industrial Revolution time were the ones who were supposed to make all the money, right? They put all the risk out, and so they should make all the money. And now that's changing. You know, we're all in the same lifeboat, and we should all be able to share in the abundance. And before, it was only the progressive organizations that had thought like that. And now, more adaptively, we're thinking about all the stakeholders, the employees, the community that you live in and the environment that you want to be able to take care of as well, instead of polluting it and really, you know, destroying all that's out there. So we're on this kind of larger um, paradigmatic shift, I think, that leaders are in the middle of. So we don't really, it's kind of, there's the forest and the trees, and do we really see the bigger pictures? And leaders are at the forefront, and I define leaders, not narrowly leaders in the corporate sector or in business sector, but wherever you are, like you, you're a dad, you're a leader. Wherever you are in the community, wherever you are um, in your business as a mom, as, as uh, an individual in your church or organization, you as an individual are a leader because of distributed leadership. It's no longer just the person at the top. Right. So all of this, we decided during the pandemic that we wanted to write about adaptive conversations. And why adaptive conversations? It's very simple. 75% of work happens through conversations in this day and age. And we're like, well, that makes sense. Uh, for our species, you know, that's what makes us so special, right? Is that our yeah. language that yeah. we have? And it's no longer our labor. 
it's really our head and our language. So what we discovered. It's, it's our thought leadership. Yes. Like I, I, I there's a show on, uh, uh, on our network called um, the soul of enterprise. Uh, and I like it because they, they, they like to use the analogy that people are no longer laborers. They're knowledge workers. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I, and I love that analogy because, you know, when, when you, as a leader, think about someone as like a knowledge worker and not necessarily like you're my employee, you know, you're, you're able to have that 75% conversation in a much more meaningful way. Mm-hmm. Because me as a leader, when I think of a person as a, as, a, as a knowledge worker, when I talk to them, I'm looking for knowledge feedback from their perspective, yes. you know, and there's been times that, you know, my team has come up with, you know, a, a, a better, more efficient process than something I had created in the past. And they'll say, hey, well, why, why do we do something? Why are we doing this like this? You know, what about this? You know, and, and, and those are the types of people that you want to really keep happy because they're looking for efficiencies in your business to help you keep, you know, the costs lower to keep, um, you know, uh, those, those folks also with job security because they're constantly providing, re- uh, you know, resources and, and solutions to issues that the business has. Um, and it's really up to a leader to be adaptive in those conversations and understand that, you know, I, I can't talk to one of my audio engineers the same way as I talk to the other audio engineer, they're all mm-hmm. unique individual people, you know? And so the way that we all communicate, um, you know, on a one-on-one basis is much different from one to the other, but then there's also this group setting too, right. As a leader where, you know, um, you know, I come in there every now and again, I'm like, Hey, do you guys need help with anything? I just finished checking my emails. I got a free hour. Do you want me to run a radio show? Do you want me to do this? Do you want me to edit anything for you? And I think that's what a lot of people are also missing out too is, uh, and then there's a great meme online right now. And it's, uh, it's like, uh, it's like the Pharaoh, right. And he's like sitting on top of his throne mm-hmm. and he's like barking orders at the people, you know, pulling the block to the pyramid. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and then that says boss. Right. And then right underneath that, it says uh, it's different. And there's no throne on the Pharaoh. And the guy who is red, who is the Pharaoh in the original picture is actually in the front front helping pull the block. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that analogy really touches with me because I feel like that's like what I call leading from the front. Right. So mm-hmm. when, when you think about, you know, your, your book that you've, that you've written and, and, and that give us some like summary ideas of how some of those, you know, leadership components, I feel like that, that, that that's one of my little secrets. Right. I always tell myself, you have to lead from the front. Right. Um, you know, you never sign, you never, you never see a, a, a pack of wolves with, uh, you know, the, the wolf leads from the front. Right. And so uh, it's very, very important, I think, from a leadership perspective. But how does that roll into, you know, your, your book and, and, what, and what you have come out on the 23rd? Absolutely. Uh, well, number one is that for a leader to be successful, we suggest three things. They need to build trust, number one, connection, number two, and number three is collaboration. And what we also suggest is that they need to be integrated. So you can't have collaboration without trust and connection. So trust is the real building block. And, you know, how do you build trust? And there's a very interesting um, equation that one of my colleagues um, has developed, and that is that trust equals credibility and reliability times intimacy, which is really relationships, divided by your self-interest. So the more self-interest you have, the less trust there is. So this is about the leader leading from the front. This is about steward leadership. This is about the leader who cares and has compassion. You know, when you ask Alan Mullally, the old GE leader, what's your secret? He says, you got to love him. 
you got to really care for them authentically. Yeah. And that's authentic leadership. And they got to know it. And people yeah. know it. They know it when you're faking. There's no oh, question about it. You know, yeah, and that's what I love about the my team. You know, and, and I can only speak from my experience, right? But that's what I love about my team. I, one of my my guys, Josh, calls me this morning, right? It's uh, you know, six forty-five or something in the morning. I'm getting ready to. I'm, I'm just finishing getting ready for my day. I'm my daughter and I. We have to leave by seven o'clock in the morning so she can so we can drop her off at school, right? And um, he calls me at six forty-five. He's like, "Hey, um, I only have one radio show that I'm, I need to run today, and." Uh, you know, there's some things that I really need to take care of. He had an issue with his house. Um, the 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 uh, apartment below him caught on fire, right? Oh. And so he, he's been dealing with smoke smell and some different things. And he's like, do you think I could just take the day today and part of the day tomorrow so I can get some of this stuff situated, get with my landlord and all that kind of stuff, you know? And I was just like, Sure, no problem. I'll I'll run that ten o'clock. I'll run I'll run that ten o'clock show for you, which gives me just enough time to get on and 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 do something with you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was like you know no big deal. Okay, hey, we're covered. If I had it open, and and you know he ends up becoming a very happy individual because he gets to go so, handle some yes. of the stuff that he needs to, um, and you know running one hour radio show for me. Oh darn, I get to talk to one of our customers, right? Mm-hmm. And that's how I lo- I looked at it. Right. Because I don't run radio shows all the time, you know, the live radio shows. But when I do, I feel like that's an opportunity for me to connect with a customer and say, hello. Hey, how are you? How you been? Right. And he's a very appreciative knowledge worker. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have one of my other uh, uh, audio engineers who's trying to you know, do work on his car. And, you know, he's not very mechanically inclined, but I am. So I'm like, just bring your car over on Saturday and, you know, Saturday morning. I'll, I'll help you fix it. You know, and he brings his car over and I fix his door handle for him. You know, and it's just like those little small things, I think, uh, from a leadership perspective, which really go a long way for, um, you know, your employees. And like I said, I can only I can only speak for myself. But, you know, those are just some things that I do to make sure that my team knows. Right. And that I care about them. And in return, they trust me. Right. Yes. But you care about them as people. Correct. Not as just workers, but that they they matter as real human beings and that your humanity shows. Yeah, it's like I, I know what their interests are and I ask them about those things. Hey, how was your weekend? One of my guys has a race car, <laughs> right? Oh, that's hey, cool. Hey, man, did you get to drive the race car this weekend? He's like, oh, yeah, I actually drove it to a restaurant. Oh, you finally got it street legal. Yeah, you know, and just those, those kind of conversations. It's, all, it's just great to really have a connection with your people. Absolutely. So trust, connection, and collaboration. And then what we've done inside the book is we wrote kind of seven between the three of us, um, Stephen, Carrie, and myself, we kind of said, okay, so – from our experiences, from our own learned experiences, what do we think are some of the the real conversational, adaptive conversational um, tools that we can help people with, that they can literally go on an airplane ride and just pick them up, take them with them and remember them and use them. And would really have an impact and have an impact quickly and be valuable and be able to make a difference rather than a textbook or a tome that then could be used in university. But we did back them all up with notes and so on. And then I kind of wrapped it up. We wrapped it up in a story of a millennial leader himself who was like, hmm, I need to grow my own leadership, went on to do it, and then took his leadership team through it, who noticed that he was different. So they wanted to have what he was having and then decided that they were going to do it with their own people. And then their customers noticed that -hmm. there was a difference with the people. And then I kind of, we pulled it in to the whole bigger picture of the adaptive conversations and what it means on a much larger level in terms of the new, what we're calling stakeholder capitalism. And so that's kind of in a nutshell what the book is about. 
I think we just found the title for this episode, Stakeholder Capitalism. I love that. <laughs> yes. So I know and you I- have the, the, this idea that you have with, you know, uh, you know, leaders going from valuing high performance and results primary to value and bringing out the high potential in people, Absolutely. right? That, yes. That's really the purpose. And that uh, adaptivity allows you to move from that, that mindset into, you know, um, valuing, you know, uh, the, the human and having empathy and, and, and being truly valuable as a leader in those particular areas, because I totally agree with you. There's definitely like happier employees, the way that you interact with them and provide leadership and those things is a direct reflection upon customer service at any one given time. You know, and uh, if you want your customers to, you know, really, you know, feel like you're doing a really good job, you have to have happy employees that are executing on 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 those items. And it's just amazing. Today, we had a host that was here in the studio and, you know, they got done with the show and, you know, they made it a point to walk into the control room. Hey, man, you did such a great job today. You know, they were so appreciative. And hey, if you need anything, let me know. I'll get the audio file over to you in a couple of hours. Da, 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 right. And just a real personable kind of uh, a thing. But that would never happen if that person wasn't happy. Yes, absolutely. So, and, you know, when the pandemic hit, uh, we had been percolating these ideas a year before. But when the pandemic hit, we said, okay, that's it. We're writing this book. And it actually happened. And now that it's on Amazon itself, and we looked at it and we said, really? We wrote the book. We published it. We did it. (laughs) And that was something on my bucket list, on my journey, uh, in terms of my getting to my frequency that I wanted to write another book. Uh, and I refused to write another book chapter until I wrote another book. Right. Um, and uh, it, it's been just a joy to work with my colleagues, uh, Steve and Carrie, together during that pandemic. I think it kept us sane to have <laughs> that kind of goal. And it's um, we're going to have a party. Yeah, I was going to ask 23rd. that. I mean, you have September 23rd with the book coming out. And you guys, um, I'll, I'll, I'll drop the website as well, 21conversationsecrets.com. Uh, you can go check yes. out uh, everything there. And, of course, uh, so you have a launch. Are you, you're having a launch party? We're having a launch party. All and right. Yeah, we're going to have a launch party, 12 o'clock uh, Eastern Standard Time or, or 9 a.m. Pacific Time. And uh, we're going to have some bonuses for people. If you want to buy the book, then if you go on the 21conversationsecrets.com website, you'll be able to see it there. And um, we'll have some guests on. And we have some videos already available for people. And we're going to have a master class in October around this. So we plan to do some really good stuff with it. And we're really looking forward. Dr. Mindy, make sure sure you send me the information about the masterclass, please. I would absolutely love to check that out. Um, And I think that's something that I should attend so I can up my leadership game as well, because I'm always looking for ways to grow. uh, And, and, you know, I think this conversation was, was absolutely wonderful. And I, I feel like the listeners who are listening, who are, you know, really trying to make strides in understanding the way that the workforce is shifting and the way that things are kind of going into this more, you know, collaborative, like I said, it's a disparate hybrid workforce. Everybody's spread out all over the place. But there's also, I think, a bunch of opportunity mixed into that as well, right? Because I think so many times companies are like, oh, you know, I'm hiring employees. And so, like, you know, I'm in Phoenix, so I hire people that are in Phoenix. I don't don't need to do that anymore. No. You know, I can, I can, I can put out, I can, I can, I can, I can hire customer service or social media people from, you know, the Midwest or New York or, you know, LA or wherever I want. And it really opens up, um, I think, as for the companies that have those types of positions where you can work from home and all that, you really open up the door to a labor force that's much larger, a much larger pool than you had before. Right. And so I think 
leaders need to understand that. And, and, and then of course they need to get your book, you know, 21 conversation secrets.com and, uh, uh, and, and, and go read about that and uh, check out the masterclass in October. Cause I feel like, um, the more people understand the way that that shift is happening and how those conversations need to be adaptive to get to that trust level, um, the better off I think our economy will be here in the United States. Um, because I think that's a lot of the reason why we are having this kind of lagging economy and labor people are not wanting to go back to work and people are having shortages. And, you know, I think it's literally a lack of, uh, of leadership. Um, and I want to say hybrid leadership, people that actually understand kind of the landscape that's going on. Right. Absolutely. And now there's actually an adaptive leadership um, assessment that's coming out uh, with AQAI um, Foundation that actually I'm now a part of uh, and have gotten certification with that. We're now doing research uh, on an individual and group level uh, to kind of really figure out what it is. Yeah. that makes someone adaptive. So that's very exciting. But that's for another conversation. But you're <laughs> right. It's really global. I have people that I coach in India and mentor in, you know, Saudi Arabia. It doesn't make a difference anymore. You no. know, you talk at 4 a.m. in the morning or 9 in the evening. Uh, that's a trade-off, but you're not traveling into the city anymore. Right. Um, yeah. And you can do all that from the comfort of your own home. And, absolutely. you know, it definitely works out. Dr. Mindy, thank you so much for joining us. You guys, I want you to go Very check welcome. out Dr. Mindy uh, Garrett's uh, uh, book at 21conversationsecrets.com. Um, you can go over there, you can pre-order and then make sure at nine o'clock Pacific time, noon Eastern uh, on September 23rd, you go to the website and go check out the launch party, become a part of that, uh, get engaged. And uh, I'm sure uh, Dr. Mindy, will be uh, uh, dropping some little little nuggets of knowledge during the uh, 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 launch party. So definitely get out there, go check that out. And we want to give uh, Dr. Mindy a big shout out for being here on Finding a Frequency. And this is the book, Conversation Secrets. We will have uh, the uh, link to the website in the description of today's episode. Uh, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in. And of course, if you're listening on your favorite podcast uh, software, make sure to give us five stars because we're five-star human beings. Uh, drop us a nice note there too as well. We'd love to hear some feedback about the show. Uh, and you guys can always email info at voiceamerica.com. Any show ideas, uh, any stuff that you would like us to talk about on finding a free frequency. Uh, and then of course, follow us on finding a frequency uh, net, which is our Facebook page. And then finding a frequency.net is the website. And then of course, uh, go to voiceamerica.com and you'll be able to find all the episodes. Uh, we've got episodes all the way back to 2015 for finding a frequency. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of great stuff to listen to. So please go check all that, uh, all those out. Uh, I want to give a big shout out to our CEO, Mr. Jeff Spinard. Um, we're connecting Dr. Mindy with uh, Finding a Frequency Show and thank her again for being on. And make sure you guys tune in every week right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Uh, Ryan Treasure, host right here of Finding a Frequency today. And uh, we appreciate you guys all tuning in. Every Finding a Frequency Friday is at noon Pacific time, three o'clock Eastern. You find, finish your Fridays with Finding a Frequency Fridays. Go home, noodle some of this information, and then put it to work on Monday. Thank you guys all for tuning in. <laughs> 